0: Hey, what's up, Rockstars? I'm super excited to bring this conversation to you on the UX Podcast. We are talking with Jay Papasan. Uh, If you are anywhere in the real estate world, you know Jay. He is the co-author of all of Gary Keller's books like The Millionaire Real Estate Agent and The One Thing. Uh, He's been been with KW in that world for, I think you said, 18 years. Uh, It might be 19 by the time that you are hearing this. Um, So Jay's been around and you might know... uh, you might know some of the things that he'd done. You might know the books and things like that. This is a rare and very, very special opportunity that I got to talk to Jay and really dive into the strategy behind the books. So we didn't talk about the content of the millionaire real estate agent. We didn't talk much about the content of the one thing, although Jay did point out a couple of things that have made a real impact in his life. Uh, what we really talked about is why they wrote the books. What, what function did they perform in the rise of Keller Williams? How did it position them differently? How did it attract the right people into their world? How did it fuel the growth from uh, at the point when they started working on writing the book I think KW is at 6,500 agents. They're now at 190,000. They are the largest brokerage in the world. Uh, a big reason for that is the writing and publication of the book, The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. That's the book I read back in 06 that prompted me to go from thinking about being a real estate investor to going into being a real estate team leader. And it has kind of fueled all the stuff and the direction that I've gone Um in my life, essentially, since then, uh, I was fascinated by the marketing, the team building and lead generation systems in that book. Um, and so we really dive into the strategy of why they wrote that. Um, what came next after that, which is the one thing we talked a little bit about whether they would change the order of those and where, where they came out and why, uh, why Jay believes that they were accidentally written in exactly the right order. And we talk a little bit about the uh, the conversation uh, around starting it, what prompted it, what sparked that idea, how did it come to fruition, uh, and then how they actually leveraged the book internally within their professional service firm and the coaching firm within it, which is Maps Coaching. How did they leverage those books and the systems that are in it to draw people in and build a tribe of people such that the millionaire real estate agent is referred to as the Red Book, right? It's not even referred to as its full name. It's It's so become the Bible of that organization that is called The Red Book. And so there is a ton for us to learn here as coaches, consultants, and agency owners and creatives from what they did with the book and how they leveraged it and why they wrote it and what they would have done differently. So uh, if you don't know Jay, bestselling author. He's an executive of KW Realty, co-owner of uh, Keller Inc., Keller Capital, and Pappas Properties Group. Um, The One Thing, which he co-authored with Gary Keller, has sold more than a million and a half copies, been translated into 35 languages, appeared on 500 national bestseller lists, including number one on the Wall Street Journal hardcover business list. So Jay absolutely knows what he's doing. I love this conversation, and I'm super excited for you to hear it. And I really want you to listen closely for the strategic principles that we can pull out of what Jay is talking about and not get distracted too much if you're not in real estate especially don't get distracted too much by the nuts and bolts of what we're talking about um, they used this book to uh, to convey their point of view and attract the exact right people that they wanted into their organization and those right people brought thousands and thousands of other people eventually along with them into the organization, right? So they targeted the exact right person. So I just want you to pull out the strategic principles, hopefully from this conversation, because they've they've made a huge impact on me. So without further ado, uh, let's bring in Jay Papasan. Well, Jay Papasan, officially welcome to the UX podcast.
1: Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. I'm super excited to be here.
0: I know me too, because it's, uh, it's been a long time coming. We've run in similar circles for a long time, but it's the first time we've actually connected on on an interview, which is shocking. And it, it's surprising it took this long, but I want to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about the one thing, uh, both the book itself and the concepts, uh, in it, but also the place of the one thing and, and the book that preceded at the millionaire real estate agent in your guys' organization, Keller Williams and maps and how it's led to the one thing certification. So there's a bunch of stuff we can get into. Um, but let's just start off with, um, What's your favorite, like the concepts that ended up in the One Thing book, which you co-authored with Gary Keller, which is based a lot on Gary Keller's own behavior and how he became successful? When you first started diving into those concepts, what's the thing that made the biggest difference, and that you still kind of find yourself returning to over and over again?
1: I'm going to answer that, and I'm going to also combine the answer a little bit because when I think about, I've got like my copies, I cut off the spine and spiral bound them because they're like textbooks (laughs) for me, but I've got both of them and. The principles of the one thing are really about um, it's taking the 80 20 principle and kind of like pumping it up on steroids, right? Yeah. It's really taking that idea of what's the essential, the essential of the essential versus the trivial to a real extreme. And that idea already existed back in 2002 when we wrote the Millionaire Real Estate Agent. The whole goal there was to figure out what's the 20%. For a successful real estate agent to build a business instead of just a sales career, so we asked a very specific question. Mm. You know, how does someone take a sales career and turn it into a business? And mm. what's the twenty percent, the essential? You know, underneath everything else that you need to focus on, and that's where we got leads, listings, and leverage. Right, those three big areas of mm. focus were what all those millionaire agents had in common. And it wasn't until many years later, right, two thousand nine, two thousand. Eight, I guess, is when we started writing The One Thing. And that was taking that concept of how can we be more effective and more productive, right, in whatever we're pursuing, and really codifying what that process looks like. What does that look like every day to live in your 20% or the 20% of your 20%, right? Your one thing, taking that to an extreme. And it's funny, like, we wrote The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, we wrote The Millionaire Real Estate Investor, we wrote these other books, And when we wrote The One Thing, Gary said, it's kind of like we should give everybody the one thing. Say, read this first and then go read that book. (laughs) Because The One Thing, even though we wrote it after the other ones, those principles show up in The Millionaire Investor too, Mm. right? What are the essential things that you should focus on, the stuff that really matters Mm. for investing or building wealth or in the agent for building a business? Right. So that's kind of, and I got to tell you, that's, I would say the concept from The One Thing to ask, this is your original question. The thing that I've benefited from the most and my favorite is the idea of goal setting to the now. And that's pretty far back in the book. If you're not familiar with it, it's just this idea. It's something I'd seen Gary do a thousand times okay. and we really broke it down. And it's how you think big and then know how to behave today. And it's this idea that if you've got this idea that someday you want to own a big business, you know, someday I want to, you know, be a billionaire, right? It's a crazy, crazy dream. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Well, what would you have to accomplish in five years to feel like you would be absolutely on track? Mm-hmm. And then based on your five-year goal, what would you have to do this year? And based on your annual goal, what would you do this month? And you keep marching backwards, and that time frame gets closer and closer to the month, the week, the day. Yeah. And for me, it was just revolutionary. I mean, it makes so much sense. If I asked you, Matt, how did you get today standing in front of a microphone, hosting your own podcast? you might look back in your past and say, well, there were three or four milestones that really got me to this point in my career. Mm -hmm. Yep. But when we say, hey, I want to start my own podcast, what do I have to do? People look up and there's a million options. Yeah. But if you go into the future where you want to be and think what would be the milestones along the way, you end up with a much narrower path. And the way Mm -hmm. I look at it, you think about 360 degrees of direction that you could go When Mm -hmm. you say, I want to go do it, all 360 are available because you could find a path any way you went. But if you go into the future and work backwards, you don't have a crystal ball. I don't know what it takes to be a billionaire exactly, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you've narrowed it down. You might be 30% off and you'd be like, oh gosh, that's huge. Well, you've eliminated 330 degrees of error.
0: (laughs) That is very true.
1: So, and, and at the end of the first year, your idea of what it takes to be there in five years is that much smarter and you just build on that knowledge. So yeah. for an actual skill tool that's in that book, that's the thing that's like, I wish I'd learned that in high school. Oh my God, you know, yes. How do, you, how do you plot backwards from a really big goal and, and behave appropriately today and this week? That's a yeah. really big gap. And most people oh, yeah. don't know how to do it.
0: No, that's a, yeah, yeah. It's the, the cause and effect relationships are too huge the, between what you do today versus what you wanna be. And most people deal with that by not goal setting to the now, they set a dream, what effectively yeah. ends up being a fantasy. They take a certain level of action. They think, ah, you know, I'm just gonna keep moving forward. And there's no real, there's no real strategy to tie those two together. So, but, but most Absolutely. people then when they start to do planning, when they try to get better at it, they start from here and go, well, how can I make more progress? So yeah, I like what's the, the next
1: logical step.
0: What's the next step, yeah which instead of instead of stepping into the future and looking back and going, okay, what are those milestones along the way? I think that's a key thing is looking at not um, not what's the going right from the end result back to what I do today, but it's looking back, okay, what's the milestones and what do I need to do that can hit get me to that very first milestone that I think is going to set me up and almost build almost like a new foundation or a platform to jump from to the next one.
1: It's um, some sort of cognitive tri- trick. Um, yeah. I remember when we were working on our hiring course, right? Which is the leverage part of the millionaire real estate agent. Mm-hmm. We spent, I don't know how many millions of dollars working on this course. And we worked with psychologists and all this. And one of the, the, the questions, we have a process right before you hire someone, you have to sit down with three or four people and their job is to say, nope, Matt's not good enough. You're like, but I love Matt. He's amazing. Nope. Mm-hmm. And they raise objections that you have to overcome. Mm-hmm. And the really cool thing is we were taught, this is a psychologist, I wish I could remember his name and give him credit. Um, We don't have enough time. He said, ask this question. Um, So Jay, you hire Matt, and six months from now, he leaves. Why did he leave? Mm. You hire Matt, six months from now, you have to fire him. Why do you have to fire him? And it's weird, you're making this giant assumption from the future, but people get really clear. It's like, oh, why did he leave? Well, there wasn't enough opportunity. Okay, so let's look at is there an opportunity map for this position? Or why did you have to fire him? Well, you know, he's got a history of blah, blah, blah. Maybe he wouldn't fit our culture. Oh, well, let's how are you addressing that? It makes you much more clear about what might or probably could happen in that path than if you didn't work from the future backwards. So I don't understand the science of it. I just know that it kind of works.
0: I don't know either. Questions are like that in general. I I love really powerful, really thought-provoking questions for a lot of the same reasons because they force your brain. It just does something different in your brain than a statement. Uh, Somebody can come along and tell you something and there's automatically a resistance. And then the same person can come along and just go, hmm, that's interesting and ask you one question that sticks with you. you You're like, that's a really good point. I need to think more about that. I think you just might have accidentally changed my entire belief system. So I love,
1: <laughs> I love a, uh, the power of questions. A new book out, and I, I listened to her get interviewed on Bigger Pockets. Uh, okay. Annie Duke uh, wrote a book called Thinking in Bets.
0: Okay.
1: And she talked about how certain people are. And one of the little questions I took out of that, since you love questions, when somebody comes up and says, oh, you know, the Democrats, it's going to be a blue wave in the elections. You could just say something like, Do you want to bet on that? (laughs) How much would you be willing to bet on that? And then people go, well, they were making this sweeping statement, like your kid. I'll hate that movie. I don't want to go. Do you want to bet on that? Well, now they have to stop and acknowledge all the stuff they don't know. Yeah. Oh, that's a month away. You know, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. So they're actually less certain than they think they are. And so I love great questions really too. Good. We can geek out on that all day. Oh, long.
0: Totally. Okay, I gotta buy that book. All right, so let's, uh, I wanna delve into the strategy of why, why the books were written to begin with. Sure. Um, and, and you mentioned the fact that the one thing was written after The Millionaire Real Estate Agent, even though it's in, infused with the principles. And going back, looking back on it now, would it have made a difference in the organization if you had written the one thing first and pounded those principles in and then come out with the other book that was more tactical focused?
1: Um. I think that they were written in the right order, um, by accident, maybe, I don't know. But in the very beginning, I remember Gary asked the question, and we told the story in The One Thing. It's, it's like a few paragraphs, but at the time, this was in 2002, he was in his executive planning for that year, and Keller Williams was not very fashionable among the top agents at that time. Um, when I joined the company in 2000, there were only 6,700 agents in the whole company, And in 2002, I think to begin the year, there were about 11,000. Okay. So, you know, you're still growing, but it was still kind of a small company. And the big top producers just weren't attracted. And so he asked the question, what could we do, right? What's one thing we could do this year to make ourselves more fashionable to those people? And he literally sat down with, I think it was Mark Willis and Mo Anderson and I can't Dave Jinks might've been in the room. All these people, they put a hundred post-it notes on the wall of ideas on how they could be more fashionable to the very top people. And the one that they decided to take action on was, well, why don't we write a book about how to build a big business in real estate? Because they'd been masterminding on it for years, mm-hmm. but why don't we take what we know, and, and we can say we wrote the book on that. Yeah, yeah. And so I met him in June. By November, we had, together with Dave Jinks written the first draft of that book that we sent to the publishers, and by January of the next year, so happened a year late, but we the first edition of The Millionaire Real Estate Agent came out in 2003. Mm-hmm. And so that book, the timing really worked for us. There, maybe it was the zeitgeist of the industry, but people were looking up and going, brokers look at me like I'm chattel. Like I'm <laughs> a pawn to be moved around. You know, the leads come to the broker of record. Mm-hmm. You know, you got floor time. I want to build a business. I don't want to be... A, so it showed up. There were some people experimenting with teams Mm -hmm. back then all the people we interviewed they were just farming it was postcards and newsletters Mm -hmm. there was no internet legion anything back then yeah and so you look up and you go, well timing found us but that we built so much in this company around the millionaire real estate agent that became Mm -hmm. a huge building block for us so as a business why would you even want a business person write a book well it becomes your calling card yes so you know hey we wrote the book on this and I've worked with people, you know, you write a couple of successful books and everybody says, help me write a book. And I don't do that professionally, but I've given friends advice and I've watched them literally double their speaking fees or triple their speaking yeah. fees by self-publishing a book. It yeah. didn't even get published <laughs> by a publisher, right? <laughs> but they got to say, look, I've written the book on this topic and it brings <laughs> massive validity because frankly, I don't know how many million people think they have a book in them. I read somewhere, I think it was the New York times that 81% of people think they have a book in them. Wow. And, and maybe 1% actually write a book.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. I mean, I hear it all the time. It's like, oh, I, people tell me I should write a book about this. And I'm yeah. like, what qualifies them to say that? <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's a video. Maybe it's a podcast. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe it's good content, but a yeah. book is hard. Yeah, it is. So when you say I wrote the book, it's very validating and it can become yeah. your calling card. If it's just a bunch of marketing, it won't mm-hmm. work.
0: And yeah, that was the good thing about The Millionaire Real Estate Agent. There's a couple things that I think made it work just from from my perspective coming on because I, I read it in probably, I don't know, late 06 into 07. And and looking, when I look back on it now, and especially knowing that you guys could have published a book like The One Thing First, here's why I think it might have not worked as well as the way that it that ended up going down, which is The Millionaire Real Estate Agent is a believable promise to exactly the right audience, just going back to pure marketing fundamentals. Oh, yeah. You know what I'm saying? It was just, mm, perfect, you know, versus the one thing, which is about a process and a, and a strategy to improve your life, but it's less clear and, and the audience is less clear, right?
1: Well, at that point, in terms of validity, I usually ask the question, because I come from publishing, mm-hmm. what qualifies you to give me advice about that? Okay. And real estate, Gary had started a successful company. It was at the time, I think the 14th largest brokerage in the world. Mm-hmm. Right, So he was already successful. He wasn't at the top of his industry, yeah. but he had validity. He had 20 something years of experience in real estate. Mm-hmm. The one thing is a general business book. We yeah. had to earn the right to jump out of our own category with any validity. So by the time the one thing came out, we were number four in the industry, soon to be number one. Yes, And that helped us have a, a calling card when you walk into Google or Microsoft. They're like, why are we talking? hearing from some real estate dude? Yeah. Well, they actually built, you know, a the largest real estate firm in the world. So yeah. that brings the validity. That's why I think the order worked. I don't mm-hmm. know that the one thing, even if every word was the same, would have had as big of an audience, because I don't think no, that definitely Gary had the validity to really get it out there.
0: No, I think you're exactly right. And it could have been a revolutionary book, but it would have been an underground book. There would have been people like me or you that would have came across it or something like that, and we would have recognized conceptually how awesome it was. And, but it, you wouldn't, it wouldn't have had the impact. Uh, and that's the thing you mentioned the audience. So, I mean, Keller Williams by that time was, I mean, what, by the time 09 rolled around, are we talking about
1: 50, 70,000 agents, something Probably, ridiculous? yeah, we're at yeah. 190 as of yesterday.
0: Yeah. I mean, so we're talking about a huge built in audience that we're already primed, and that you've got a built in coaching organization within the professional service firm as a whole, coaching those people on those principles already to the tune of, you know, a couple thousand clients probably by that point. So, yeah, huge built in audience. Um, I want to talk about the the,
1: right about that time. I'm sorry to interrupt, Matt, but right about that time, we had MAPS business coaching inside our real estate company. I'm looking up because I'm trying to remember the time today. (laughs) But it was somewhere between 2005 and 2007 that Diana Kokoska, after I think Gary recruited her and Tony DiCello for about a 14-year period, he built that relationship until he found his window. She came on and she really rebuilt the whole program. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, she grabbed onto the millionaire real estate agent and made it a Bible for her coaches where it was before, but I got to say the timing worked out for us great because this book showed up and then Diana joined the team. She saw the value of the models as a coaching tool and that created this wonderful wave of, if you're in coaching with us, we're going to talk about this, which adds more validity to it and so on and so on.
0: Yeah. And then you guys, the the thing about Keller Williams that they do a really great job of, um, that is a great lesson for any kind of professional service firm is you guys do a really good job of making stars out of the people that follow the models. And then the stars get up on stage in front of everybody else and talk about the models. Right. And I will allude to this in the intro, but I mean the millionaire real estate agent is known as the Red Book. It literally it's the Bible of of not not even just Keller Williams, but the real estate industry in general, anyone that's looking to build a team that even has a nickname that everybody knows what you're talking about when they say the Red Book. I don't know of really any other what's what's interesting to me is that this all worked. Right. And we've seen what the effects are. Yet, uh, can you think of any other real estate brokerage that has even attempted to emulate this?
1: Thank you. I, I keep <laughs> waiting for it. I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm always guarding against it. And, and yeah. there have been a few of our competitors um, that have paid authors to write a book about them. Um, there was one about our, you know, I think there's a couple books by, about the REMAX organization and that's more of a corporate tale, mm-hmm. right? And it's not a bad book. Um, I think Tom Ferry came out with a book called life by design. There's been a few books, but none of them, like, I just keep waiting. Like, why don't, don't yeah. they make it position themselves to compete with us in this space? And nobody really has, um, I don't know that
0: anybody a else. I, th- I think the secret hidden answer, it. I don't know if you'd agree with this or not. So I'll just throw it out and see if you agree. Uh, I don't see like Keller Williams has a point of view, like a defined point of view to the point where people buy in and it's all they can talk about. Um, I don't know that the other broker just have a defined point of view and maybe they don't have someone like you pressing them on the backside to really define what their point of view is because I'm guessing that was some of the process with Gary was getting the stuff out of his head and figuring out how to convey it to other people. Maybe Mm -hmm. they don't have that person behind the scenes but it certainly doesn't seem like they do a good job of conveying any point of view of what their professional service firm actually stands for.
1: You know, that could be an industry specific thing. I'll, I'll agree with you. With from, I, again, my entire 18 years has been spent in this building. So mm-hmm. I've experienced yeah. other companies secondhand. And so that's yeah. just complete. They're great competitors, but I also know real estate agents are independent contractors. And the vast majority of the people we consider our competitors are also franchise companies. Those are two people that you really have a hard time telling them what to do. Yeah. So, you can't legally, you know, in, in a lot of cases, right? Tortious yeah. interference, the franchise size, and you can get then sued for employment taxes on the independent contractors. <laughs> you to know, be very careful. So it's kind of one of those things where like, we put it out there. I think we planted a flag that said, these are our ideas, even though they were definitely sourced from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that's competing with it as well. I think it would be difficult. It's difficult to do. I don't think we knew that going in. How do you convince people that this is the way? And it was great that some people championed it and said, wow, this is exactly how I built my business. So we did document it correctly and they started championing the book for us. And that's what really worked.
0: Yeah. That's one of the things I wrote down when I was thinking about some of the, some of the topics I wanted to ask you about was the concept of pass along marketing. I think one of the powers of the book is it gives people such a, an easy way to tell other people about the brokerage and about what they do. And even to the general public, it gives them something to talk about, like the one thing concept. It's such, an, like it, it's such an easy to boil down, it's hard to apply, but it is easy yeah. to talk about, right? Yeah. So it gives, it gives agents, just the rank and file agents, something concrete to talk about with other people, even with their own clients, that expresses why the culture of this place where I work and this company I work for is different slash better than any other. This is why I work for these guys and this is why it equips me to give you better service and give you a better experience. Uh, I think that's another thing that we way we over, like overlook and underestimate is the power of giving people something easy to talk about, a message that's easy for them to convey.
1: Well, I love that you say that. That's that's very much by design. Yeah. I um, mean, it's not easy to do, but I, I got to work with some really good editors when I worked at HarperCollins in New York. Yeah. Um, Robert Wilson, Robert Kaplan, David Hershey. These were all executive editors or vice presidents. And they really understood how to promote books. And I got to work on a book called Body for Life by Bill Phillips. And the big takeaway from that, and I didn't, I'd been told it, but I had to experience it. That book had a little wrapper around it. And it showed before and afters of people who had started weightlifting before and after. And some of it, mm-hmm. like today, you look at it and go, that's so Photoshopped. But the program did work and people weren't used to seeing it. And what we heard is people took that very expensive wrapper that the author insisted we do and used it as a bookmark. And it was inspirational Mm. and it became this thing. And they said one thing, people think that cardio is how you burn fat. Lifting weights burns fat better. They had something to show and they had something to say. And it not only worked for them, it made them look smart. And mm-hmm. so for me, when I walked in, when I walked to work with Gary on the books, I said, if you want word of mouth, you have to educate people that this is what you say about my product and they get rewarded for saying it. So they go to a cocktail party and say, Hey, I learned the weirdest thing today. You know, cardio doesn't really burn fat that well, but if oh, you lift so weight sweet. and everybody's like, no way. No, I just read this book. Yeah. So they get to look smart. And so mm-hmm. if you Build that into, that's why our books always have the millionaire real estate agent has the misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. These are things that people think that are just plain wrong. And and the one thing we have the lies about productivity Mm -hmm. and, you know, multitasking is bad. We wanted to give people things to counter what they were hearing and say, I know you just said that, but I don't think that's true. It gave them a reason to speak up and look smart.
0: And that's so good. I was literally just talking to someone here, not that long, maybe within the last couple of weeks, who was doing a lot of research on the science of referrals. Okay. They said the best way to generate a referral is to is to engineer it in such a way that it raises their social status to give uh-huh. you a referral.
1: There we go. I love that.
0: Right? Yeah, not that crazy? And you, have
1: to, and you have to educate them, right? Yeah. You can't say, my people never never refer business to me. Well, did you tell them how? A lot of people don't know that they can or why they should. Yeah. And if you make them higher social status. I love that. That's great.
0: Yeah. Isn't that crazy? Um, all right. So final question before we get to that, um, just cause I want to honor your time. What's, what's the best way to connect and learn more about what you're, what you're doing these days?
1: Um, these days I live with one thing, um, still five years after publication, it's still growing. Um, mm-hmm. and now we've gone to 32 countries, I believe. Wow. So it just, it continues to expand. And I'm as an author, like when you get that you don't get off that horse until it falls over dead. So um, I would go to theonething.com with the number one. Um, I've got a very Googleable name. So it's very, we have all of our free resources there and they can find out everything about me and find me on social media through that site.
0: Perfect. All right, you, you alluded earlier. So I'm guessing we've read some of the same books. You talked about jumping out of a category, which yeah. is effectively what The One Thing did, right? Breaking out from being real estate specific to being a general business book and even a certification, going out and speaking to bigger companies that they don't really know or care who Carol, what Keller Williams is. What's that, what's that process like? What's the experience been? What, what have you learned that maybe you would have done differently making that jump?
1: Um, it was a lot harder than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we got good advice. Our publisher is a guy named Ray Bard, and he has an amazing track record. I think of the 50 or so books that he's published in the last 10 years, um, like all but a handful of the national bestsellers. Like that's what wow. he does. He does one or two books a year. Um, I had to court him for three years to get him to take our book. That's awesome. And but he's just really kind of a brilliant, you know, older, you know, lion of publishing. But he taught us to focus on our first audience. So even though we were trying to break out of real estate, we had our built-in audience of our company. And we built all of our original, probably our first six months of promotion around making sure that the people who bought the millionaire real estate agent and the millionaire real estate investor and shift the people who were faithful to us on the real estate side had every reason to buy this book and then hopefully give it away. So mm-hmm. I think probably our first 40 to 60,000 sales, I would probably say were all aimed straight down the barrel of our existing audience. And we tried to give them reasons to share that book with their, their, you know, their, their sphere. Mm-hmm. And so using real estate agents as a way to, you know, spread your virus is great because they're very social people. Yep. But if you educate them and why it's a benefit to them, so our top people would go into businesses and say, hey, I've got this book that our founder wrote. Let's do a mastermind around how we can apply this to our business. They were leveraging it to get in relationship with business owners. And that was a great way. I mean, they taught us that and then we we poured more gasoline. Oh, on that yeah. Guy.
0: I'll bet. Yeah, that's a brilliant strategy. And and for anyone that yeah, that's listening that uh, that understands a little bit about book publishing, 50,000 books for a business book is no joke. If you can sell that to your own audience, and that is, doesn't even touch the general public, and then they start to see the book show up at airports and they just buy it because it looks like a cool book, that is, <laughs> those are insane numbers to get 50,000 sales, even to have that audience of people to market to where you have the potential for that many. Uh, Seth Godin made a comment about one of his own books um, that the the only way you could buy it was straight from Seth, if I remember right, if I remember the story right. And you could only buy two; that was huh. the minimum. So you had to buy one, and then you had to give one away. I'm like, and that's why Seth Godin is Seth Godin.
1: Well, you know what? And maybe our publisher got this from him, but almost everybody sets aside a certain number of PR copies, and you mail it to influencers. And our publisher convinced us. He goes, every time we send this to one of these influencers, we're not going to send one; we're going to send it two. Because the people you're sending it to, you know, the CEO of this or that, they have a stack of books that have been sent to them. But if you give them two, they'll put one on their stack that they might get to in the next year, but they'll give one to their top lieutenant. He will try to read it to make their boss proud. And he goes, so we always send two. Don't assume that, because the most influential people, like they're six to nine months from reading your book. Yeah, Because everybody else is doing the same thing. But if you send them two, they have a reason to give it away and you know, even like some of the copy, we were like, "Hey, give this to your top lieutenant and have them tell you why you should use it and read it, right?" And so, like, we got them to delegate it in some cases.
0: Oh man, that, that was worth the price of the uh, the admission right there. Like, just for anybody that's writing or, or has written a book, just that tip right there—that's insanely good. <laughs> <laughs> that's
1: Ray hard. I, I'm I, maybe stealing I got that it from Seth. Yeah, but that idea of deceiving the market two at a time. It's like twice as expensive. I was like, are you kidding me? It's already, you know, it's already expensive to mail all of these free books Mm -hmm. out. And now we're going to do two. All right.
0: Yeah. And that, and then one book, the the one thing is no joke as a book, like physically as a book, like it is a, it's a hefty hardcover. I mean, it's not massive, but it's, it is not a pocketbook.
1: I thought we did pretty good, right? I mean, this is 430, this is 220. Yeah, exactly.
0: It's not, it's not the Bible of real estate per se, but yeah. It's
1: not a doorstop, (laughs) but it is a real book. Yes.
0: All right. Well, Jay, this has been awesome. I could go on for a long, long time to talk about this. But uh, so everybody should go to onething.com, one the number, uh, and check that out. Get the free resources, get on the mailing list. And uh, yeah, Jay, I just, I really appreciate your time. This is a lot of fun.
1: It's great to meet you. And thanks for having me.
0: Hey, Rockstars. Thank you so much. I appreciate you investing your time, your effort, your energy into the show. I don't take that lightly. I so appreciate uh, you all listening and the feedback that I get from those of you who listen and engage with the show. Uh, Whether you agree or disagree with the things we talk about, I love hearing from you. So please reach out. And if you are in the audience and you're a business coach, a consultant, or you're in creative services, and you're thinking about using guest appearances on podcasts and interviews to boost your business, grow your brand, build more influence and attract ideal clients, or maybe you're watching other people in your space do that and you're wondering if this strategy will work for you and how to make that work, I did a special training with a client. Dana Malstaff who runs the boss mom podcast we produce her show and we did a training all about that and it's called how to get featured on the right podcast and get your ideal clients flocking to you and a few of the things that we covered in that training it's it's short it's content packed it's only about 35 minutes long and we talked about how to get featured on podcasts in less than two hours a week how to find the exact right podcast for you and make friends with those podcast hosts how to become micro famous so you're known liked and trusted in your space and really how to uh, how to craft a story hook uh, that really gets the attention of podcast hosts and gets them to say yes when you reach out and pitch yourself as a guest. And so we talk about all that and a bunch more in that training. So it's available at howtogetfeatured.com. That's howtogetfeatured.com. Dot com pop your information in there it's free and you get it in you know instant access to watch you don't have to wait for a follow-up email you don't have to wait for a fake webinar that's not actually live none of that it's a recorded training you get instant access so go check it out i'd appreciate it and i've said it before on previous episodes this is my number one marketing strategy for myself For 2019 and i learned a lot of these things in the process of building the system for myself and my staff to pitch me as a expert guest on podcasts and whenever somebody one of whether it's one of my own clients or my friends and peers and colleagues in this space that we all run in it's my number one recommendation for them too, to grow their brand, build their influence and attract ideal clients. So if that's you and you want more of that, go check that out. That's at howtogetfeatured.com. Thanks again so much. And we'll see you on the next episode of the UX Podcast.